0: And welcome to Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dodson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on Governor Eric Holcomb's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Chris Davis reports on the Republican views of President Joe Biden's State of the Union address. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with Pat McGriff of the William Henry Harrison chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution, based in Valparaiso. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. Indiana's public health emergency for the COVID-19 pandemic is officially over. Governor Eric Holcomb signed an executive order Thursday evening ending the emergency declaration that's been in place since March 2020. This move was made possible when Holcomb signed into law Thursday, House Bill 1001. It contains provisions that ensure Indiana will maintain access to millions in federal funding tied to the pandemic and continue to offer vaccine clinics to children under age 11. Holcomb's new executive order does continue one pandemic-related provision. The state will continue to offer temporary licensing for out-of-state, retired, and student health workers. Legislation that will put the provision into state law has not yet reached the governor's desk as of this recording. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Governor Eric Holcomb is not ruling out taking steps to sever ties with Russia and Russian-controlled businesses. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Brandon Smith reports Holcomb's initial executive order merely reviews the state's connections to Russia amid the nation's invasion of Ukraine.
1: Other states are actively cutting off investments and ties to Russia, but Holcomb's steps announced earlier this week were limited to gathering information about investments and state contracts with Russian-owned or controlled companies. Holcomb says he wants to know what we're talking about before taking further action.
2: If you're
3: a liquor store owner and you want to fill up a garbage can with Russian vodka, I'll throw the match and light it on fire, but you own it. They don't. So you'd be out the expense. So there are full spectrum of measures you can take but divesting i am the state of indiana is not going to be part of putin's blood oil machine
1: indiana house republicans recently blocked an amendment that would have directed state government to divest from russian-controlled companies for indiana public broadcasting i'm brandon smith at the state house
4: you're listening to lakeshore update
0: with d dotson Advocates are urging Valparaiso community schools to take concrete steps to combat racism. A group called Allies Against Racism presented a change.org petition to the school board last week. Group member Paul Schreiner says the four-point plan was developed after many students went to the group for support.
1: We want Valparaiso to do more than just proclaim that it is a welcoming community. We are here to ensure that the city of Valparaiso lives up to that promise, equal rights for all.
0: The petition calls for a restorative justice process implicit bias training, more hiring of people of color, and a review of the district's curriculum. But it drew pushback from resident Ruth Vance. She argued that hiring should be based solely on merit and worried that implicit bias training itself could lead to bullying. No training for teachers, other employees or students should single out people or group them on the basis of an immutable characteristic such as skin color or disability or anything else. Meanwhile, parent Stephanie Powles, who is white but has a daughter who's black, denied that the school district has a problem with systemic racism. And in the one incident her family did experience, the child apologized on his own.
5: I've only ever seen white people come up here and talk to the podium about racism in the school. Maybe a minority person has, and I've missed it but you maybe need to hear a different perspective. Not every black person has the same experience.
0: School board member Erica Watkins though, noted that her children have experienced issues. She called on community members to listen to one another, even if they don't
5: always agree. It is my deepest prayer. And my hope as I continue to pray for this community is that we stop being so concerned about critical race theory, but start to look at the differences that are happening here.
0: School Superintendent Dr. Jim McCall felt the petition validated his own three-pronged plan, which he said addressed many of the same issues.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson.
0: Indiana Dunes Tourism is handing out more than $22,000 in grants this year to groups planning to bring visitors into the Indiana Dunes area. The groups will use the grants to create new attractions or by organizing festivals, events, meetings, conventions, or sports tournaments this year in Porter County. Recipients include Art Barn School of Art, the City of Valparaiso, Lightning Bug Music Festival, Inc., Lutheran Music Program, the Northwest Indiana Junior Golf Association, Doolin Economic Development Company, and Porter County Sheriff's Office. Indiana Dunes Tourism is the official destination marketing, planning, and development organization for the Indiana Dunes area and Porter County.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: Ivy Tech Community College will no longer withhold transcripts from students who owe the school money. Under a previous policy, some students who wanted to transfer to another school were unable to do so because Ivy Tech refused to issue transcripts to students who owed any money. Some students were denied access to their transcripts Over as little as $5, according to one school official. Ivy Tech has ended that policy and will now make transcripts available to all students. The change affects approximately 80,000 students at Ivy Tech campuses across Indiana.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: A longtime Highland Town Council member will be taking over as the town's next clerk treasurer. The Post-Tribune reports Mark Herrick was chosen by a vote of 16-3 to during a Democratic Party caucus Wednesday. He replaces Michael Griffin, who was chosen last month to finish out the term of retired State Senator Frank Mervan. Herrick told precinct committee people that he had experience working with Griffin during his 20 years as the town council's budget chair. Herrick defeated Brad Neal, the chief financial officer of a nonprofit who plans to run for office during the next election. Highlands precinct committee members will now have to meet again to choose a new War II council member.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson.
0: Two teenage boys have made their first court appearances after being charged in the slaying of retired Gary firefighter Wallace Brodnicks, who was a member of the high school basketball team that won the 1968 state title. The boys, ages 15 and 16, are being charged as adults in last June's killing outside a Gary gas station. The Times reports that a Lake County magistrate entered not guilty pleas on behalf of each boy during the hearings.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson.
0: One outcome of the COVID-19 pandemic has been a renewed interest in golf. Valpo Park's Executive Director, John Siebert, says the game had been in a tailspin before covid we've gone
1: from a a consistent downward trend in through 2019 to a remarkable change in 20 and 21 Um, and we expect the same thing we started 22 in the same
2: way
0: siebert told the city council tuesday that the change is being driven by young people Now he's looking to make some investments into the two city-owned courses. The Parks Department is seeking permission to spend $105,000 in golf course revenues on some needed improvements like lighting repairs, cart path resurfacing, and clubhouse flooring. And if the trend continues for a few more years, Siebert says he may request bigger improvements like expanding the Creekside golf course from 9 to 18 holes.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: A year ago, the CEOs of Indiana's four biggest hospital systems promised to address racism in health care. At a virtual forum Monday night, Indiana Public Broadcasting's Farah Usry spoke with hospital leaders about the progress they've made since then.
5: The hospital systems will create a joint public dashboard that includes aggregated, de-identified data on health issues broken down by race and ethnicity. The data will help identify which patients aren't receiving optimal care and inform specific interventions. The CEOs of both IU Health and Community Health Network said since last year they've created more diversity, equity and inclusion leadership positions. Here's Brian Mills of Community Health. I know this
1: sounds like a lot of infrastructure, but if we don't have the infrastructure, anything we do will not be sustained.
5: The CEO of Eskenazi Health says the hospital system is working to improve the level of prenatal care Black patients receive. One strategy is to identify all Black pregnant women as high risk. The live streamed forum was hosted by the NAACP and the Indianapolis Recorder in partnership with WFYI. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Farah Yusri. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with
0: Dee Dotson. New legislation could soon make Indiana a safer place for trafficking victims. Network Indiana's Shaila Kabalin reports. Senate Bill 155 received unanimous support in the Indiana House and Senate and is now headed to the governor's desk for approval. The bill would increase punishments for those who purchase sex from a trafficking victim and prevent survivors under the age of 14 from testifying in court.
3: The amount of victimization that goes into the mental, physical,
0: and emotional abuse that a trafficking victim experiences, that's what we're really trying to target. State Representative Wendy McNamara, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, reported 140 cases of trafficking in Indiana in 2020. Shayla Network Indiana.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: Few of the president's announcements during his State of the Union speech were met positively by Republican lawmakers from Indiana. Network Indiana's Chris Davis reports.
1: While the president talked about combating inflation and fixing the tax system. I'm not looking to punish anybody, but let's make corporations and wealthy Americans start paying their fair share. Congressman Jim Baird said after the speech that the president's policies have been business killing and have saddled future generations with insurmountable debt for partisan policies that don't represent our values, meaning your values. Senator Todd Young tweeted that he was glad to hear Biden talk about the need to compete with China. Chris Davis, Network Indiana.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: Several hundred people gathered on the campus of Purdue University Wednesday to show support for Ukraine following Russia's invasion of the country. The event was put on by the school's Ukrainian Student Association. Association President Senya Lewitsky says she has friends and extended family members in the country and wanted to find ways to show support as a student. Russia's kind of always been trying to subjugate Ukraine and um, take it over. So like I'm used to seeing this happen and it's just really frustrating that I guess the international community has let it get this far. Lewitsky says she does not want U.S. troops sent to Ukraine but she does want to see aid in the form of weapons and sanctions against Russia. She says she will be urging students to contact their local officials and voice their support for Ukraine.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: A bill that doubles down on free speech rights at Indiana's public colleges and universities is headed to the governor's desk after lawmakers gave their final vote of approval Thursday. The proposal, authored by Republican Representative Jack Jordan of Bremen, aims to codify the First Amendment and U.S. Supreme Court presidents into Indiana law, which Jordan said should guide college campus policies and ensure that free speech applies equally for all students. Colleges can still restrict the reasonable time, place, and manner of free speech, however, Jordan said that means that while free speech is allowed, the time can be restricted.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: School boards in Indiana must allow the public to comment during public meetings under a bill headed to the governor's desk. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Brandon Smith reports... The final bill is less restrictive than it was earlier in the session.
1: The measure is a response to a small number of school boards over the past year who refused to allow public comment amid anger and even threats of violence that bubbled up at school boards across the country. An earlier version of the measure would have required school boards to give each member of the public at least three minutes to speak. But bill author Representative Tim O'Brien says that was ultimately removed.
2: So, the school board is allowed to set their parameters on time constraints.
1: The bill only says those boards must set reasonable rules for taking public comment, and they're still allowed to take steps to maintain order in their meetings. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Brandon Smith at the State House.
4: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with
0: Dee Dotson. Nursing home staff fed up with low pay and long hours are leaving but then coming right back. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Justin Hicks explains how these workers are able to make a lot more money for the exact same work.
6: Monica Cummings is a licensed practical nurse in Elkhart. She says even before COVID, nursing homework was hard and often thankless.
0: We're not going to work ourselves to death for
1: peanuts anymore. And, and you know, there are a lot of nurses that have left and said, I don't care
0: how much it pays. I can't do it anymore.
6: That's sad. Add COVID challenges to that, and it's easy to see why workers are leaving nursing homes in droves. In Indiana, about 16% of nursing homes report nursing shortages. Nationally, it's about one in four. Many workers like Cummings, who are sticking around, are going to staffing agencies. They offer flexible, short-term contracts and lately pay a lot more. Zena Lowry, another nurse in northern Indiana, says right now she can make roughly $20 an hour more than when she was a nursing home staff member. We're gaining that
0: power back, we're understanding our worth and knowing our power, and we're negotiating
6: that. But some nursing home officials say the rising rates they're having to pay staffing agencies amounts to price gouging. Here's Bernie McGinnis, CEO of Majestic Care, a company with long-term care facilities across the Midwest.
1: To be blunt, I feel taken advantage of not even close to a fair market value am I being asked to to pay, And that price just is, it's unsustainable.
6: McGinnis says he wants to pay his nurses better and compete with staffing agencies. But he relies on reimbursements from Medicare and Medicaid, which haven't kept up. So he's at a disadvantage.
1: We've seen our costs go up, you know, 10, 11 percent each year during this pandemic in a labor standpoint. In some markets, even more reimbursement does not go up. 10, and 11 percent a year.
6: So McGinnis wants lawmakers to step in and do something to control the rising costs. Chris Madden heads the Indianapolis-based staffing agency Networks Connect. He's not opposed to staffing wage regulations, but says that alone won't fix the limited supply and high demand driving up prices.
1: The villainous covid <laughs> the, the villain is COVID here, and it's the, it's just this silent villain that you can't talk to, you can't reason with, and we are just all, nobody knows what to do.
6: Madden says staffing agencies have to compete against each other for fewer nurses, demanding bigger paychecks.
1: Can you blame them? They're just saying, if this is what the market's paying, then I want to get paid that too. They're not They're not holding their care. They're just saying, I want to be compensated for it.
6: John Bobliss researches economics and geriatric care at Miami University in Ohio. He says the Federal Cares Act money going to nursing homes has helped some weather recent spikes in labor costs. But that's not sustainable.
1: If this continues on this way, you will see a large number of nursing homes that might have to declare bankruptcy. Or the other option is is politically that you have to increase reimbursement, and a lot of states don't want to do that.
6: A handful of states, including Minnesota and Massachusetts, have passed laws putting wage caps on how much staffing agencies can pay nurses. But in Indiana, we're halfway through the legislative session, and lawmakers haven't discussed any solutions. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Justin Hicks. You're listening to Lakeshore
4: Update with Dee Dotson.
0: Here's regionally speaking host Chris Nolte with a conversation with Pat McGriff of the William Henry Harrison Chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution.
2: Coming up in the middle March, there's going to be a very special event that is uh, aimed at Indiana-Vietnam veterans. And we'll tell you more about it now. We're talking with one of the members of the William Henry Harrison Chapter of the Daughters of American Revolution here in Indiana. In fact, the chapter is based in Valparaiso. Peg McGriff is with us to talk about not only the uh, Indiana Daughters of the American Revolution, how it's involved these days uh, dealing with veterans across the Hoosier State, but also what this uh, special event coming up in March is all about. Peg, thanks for joining us on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thank you for having me. We first explain for people that are not familiar with the Indiana DAR what it's all about. It's an old organization that's been around for, for many, many years.
3: Right. It's uh, been in existence since uh, the 1890s. In fact, DAR itself was established on October 11th, 1890. And our tenets are patriotism, historic preservation, and education. And uh, all the states uh, in the United States have um, organizations in uh, DAR, and most uh, states have several chapters. In Indiana, there are 83 chapters of DAR. Ours is one of those, the William Henry Harrison chapter, and our chapter is 119 years old this year.
2: Wow, that's that's very interesting to hear. And I know that you have been working as an organization with the Indiana Department of Veterans Affairs for quite some time, years, I guess, on various projects. But you're working with them especially on this one project, which is coming up, at least which will be held locally, in Valparaiso on Wednesday, March 16th. Will you tell us first what the project is all about and why you're trying to reach Vietnam-era veterans and those who also served in the Vietnam War overseas?
3: Well, our purpose is to welcome home those men and women who served our country during the Vietnam War-era years from November 1st, 1995 through May 15th, 1975. Uh, November 1st, 1955 is the date when the Military Assistance Advisory Group Vietnam began and May fifteenth, 1975, is when the war ended. And so we are looking for those veterans who are now living in Indiana, and they, have, they could have served anywhere during the years of 1955
5: through
6: 1975.
3: Mm-hmm. We're going to provide these men and women veterans with a hardbound book entitled A Time to Honor and also a DVD entitled The Journey Home. Uh, this book was... Um, The first printing of this uh, book was 20,000 copies, which was made possible by a generous grant from the Lilly Endowment. Uh, It's estimated that there are 130 estimated Vietnam veterans living here in Indiana right now, and it's estimated that close to half of all Indiana-Vietnam veterans have never applied for the benefits or were denied benefits years ago. So that's that's really our main purpose, getting them in. We're going to have the local service officer in attendance, and uh, she's the assistant uh, service officer, Paulina Huffman, and she will be there to answer questions of veterans and uh, let them know of basic benefits that some of them may not know about.
2: What benefits might those be?
3: Access to VA health care, VA disability compensation, or... VA pensions based on financial need. A uh, veteran have to be 65 or older or disabled. Um, there are state benefits for vets with service-connected uh, disabilities, which include college education benefits for veterans' children, property tax deduction. Uh, veterans who um, are Purple Heart recipients can also have tuition and fee exemption for Indiana Purple Heart Recipients and their biological or adopted children at Indiana State-sponsored schools. Those are just a few of the different uh, benefits that are available to veterans. And that's from what I understand, there are many veterans who don't realize that uh, they are eligible for many of these benefits. And so that's why we want to bring them in and mm-hmm. let them know about
2: this. I wonder why maybe so many veterans uh, weren't aware that the, there were so many benefits that were entitled to them because they served overseas uh, somewhere, whether it happened to be actually in Southeast Asia or any place around the world during uh, the uh, Vietnam War era. Um,
3: that's that's correct. Um, some veterans, from my understanding, years ago attempted to apply for benefits, but for some reason or other they were denied. Mm-hmm. And now there is a list of benefits. Uh, 17 more presumptive illnesses attributed to the Vietnam War and are now recognized and approved by the Department of Veterans Affairs. So these uh, men or women who were rejected earlier should consider checking this out because uh, maybe an illness that they're suffering from is uh, war-related and they need
2: to uh, find out about that. Well, I've had a chance to talk with some people with the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs in Washington about this and uh, some time ago. And they talked about the, the campaign that they had initiated to uh, get hold of veterans to let them know about these additional illnesses uh, that they may have uh, contracted while serving their country overseas. And so it's not surprising that uh, not everybody knows about these things. If we go back to what you mentioned at the outset of our conversation about the era, that uh, you're looking for veterans uh, who have served in the in Vietnam, and mentioned that it was any man or any woman who had served their country during those uh, Vietnam War era of years of 1955 to 1975. When you go back that early to 1955, what years are you counting for and people who had served?
3: Well, it's uh, that whole uh, 20-year period. We know that there are men and women who served during those years. And as you said... Not all of them served in uh, Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, Uh, not because they did not want to go there, but because uh, they were stationed elsewhere. And, you know, when you're in the military, you go where they send you. So these years are considered the Vietnam War era years, and that's why they are all included in this.
2: Now, besides uh, the opportunity to receive uh, this uh, Indiana-Vietnam Veterans gift that will be handed out to those who attend the March 16th meeting at the Valparaiso Public Library, uh, you have the opportunity, as you mentioned, to talk with the uh, county service officer. Uh, Are there many veterans that come in uh, and family members of veterans, maybe, whether they're still alive or whether they've passed on, to to ask questions? And that's why these uh, veterans uh, service officers uh, have the opportunity to talk to people.
3: Right, and that's why um, uh, we were encouraged to have our uh, local service officer in attendance so veterans can uh, at least speak uh, to this individual, Paulina Huffman, and get more information, step appointments to go in and see her. She's uh, located in the Porter County Administration Building. And uh, find out exactly what benefits uh, they're eligible for. and. Uh, It's uh, a life-changing event for veterans and his or her family.
2: Now, Peggy, if you will, tell us if anyone is interested, uh, if anyone who has either uh, had served their country during uh, those uh, Vietnam War-era years of 1955 through 1975, or if they are a family member, perhaps of a deceased member or someone who's uh, disabled, they need to know more information. They'd like to be counted or have their family member counted. How can they reach you, people? And uh, what kind of deadline do you have before the event coming up March 16th? Um, they
3: can either reach us um, they can call me at my uh, number, 219-386-5447, or they can count, uh, call the uh, county um, service officer's um, number, and I don't have it available mm-hmm. with me right now.
2: That's available in the Porter County Government Office numbers, right? Correct. Okay, they can you can and look and that up. They can online. check
3: with them. But, you know, we encourage them to attend if possible, Um especially in order to get the uh, book and the DVD, because those are not mailed out. Uh, they can, individuals can go to the website, vetsgift.com, and register and order the book, but they will not be mailed to them. Uh, they would need to come to this event to pick them up.
2: That's Peg McGriff. She is a member of the William Henry Harrison Chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution, based in Indiana, which, by the way, the chapter is in Valparaiso. And uh, members of the uh, William Henry Harrison Chapter of the Indiana DAR looking for Vietnam veteran-era veterans from in Indiana— Uh, from the years uh, 1955 through 1975, and they would like to at least offer them a gift for their service to our country. And if you have any questions, you can contact uh, Peg, or you can contact the uh, folks at the... uh, Porter County Veterans Service Office for more information. Peg, thank you very much for telling us about this. We hope a lot of Indiana Vietnam veterans uh, check in and they become a part of this event coming up on March 16th at the Valparaiso Public Library. Uh,
3: The Valparaiso Walmart store will be helping out with refreshments on the day of the event. Wow. We wanted to do a shout-out for them for uh, donating refreshments.
2: Well, that's great to hear. Thank you very much, Peg, for bringing us up to date about this big event coming up, the Indiana-Vietnam Veterans Gift Event. It's going to happen in Valparaiso at the city's public library on March 16th. And uh, if you have more information, you can contact the folks with the William Henry Harrison Chapter of the Indiana Daughters of the American Revolution. Thanks for being with us today.
3: Thank you
0: very much. Regionally Speaking with host Chris Nolte can be heard each Monday through Thursday at 11 a.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and streaming online at lakeshorepublicradio.org where you can also find podcasts of the show when you click on the program link. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Nolte. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by By BenSound.com for Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dotson.